Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. And uh, it's good to look around and see some familiar faces. And like he said, I didn't really have a connection up in this area. And I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm really excited about being here. You know, I'm, I grew I was born just in the area where I pastor. And I've lived most of my life there. I've lived all my life in California. And, uh, and so to get out and to meet some of you and to see God doing some work in other places, it's just fun to be able to stand here and meet you and to forget to preach the Word of God to you. That's very exciting for me. And uh, some of these older guys that we're connected with and things, I'm thankful that we've had this connection, some of us through Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College and now through Heartland Baptist Bible College. And some of us have worked and labored hard and, and things to see what God's doing. And it's just uh, fun. I appreciate it. I love Brother Leidick and uh, appreciate him so much and his family. His brother is a blessing too and to get to know Brother DiOrio now. And so that's a blessing just to see that happening. And Brother DiOrio and I myself, it's kind of the same thing. I grew up in the church I pastor and, uh, and stuff. And so anyway, it's uh, kind of fun to be here. And now that my favorite son-in-law is up in this area, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. I only have one daughter. But anyway, and... Uh, <laughs> And so, uh, anyway, I'm thankful uh, to be here and to be with you. I will eventually get to Acts chapter 20 tonight. I thought I'd just kind of go over with you. They, the government, uh, you know, they do these grants for studies and things like that. And, and so they were feeling really sorry for blonde women and all the jokes are told. And so they decided they would dispatch or they would grant uh, a, some money to a group of blonde wives and they wanted them to uh, set up a college on husbandry. And so not really understanding the subject, they met to discuss the classes and the curriculum. And so here's the question they decided to base their curriculum on. If you could send your husband to husband school, what classes would you suggest? And so here's a list of some of their courses. One, and pretty brilliant women, Health Watch. Bringing her flowers is not harmful to your health. PowerPoint presentation, it says. Real men, ask for directions when lost. That's another class. And then it says, real life testimonial from the one who did. All right, but anyway. <laughs> Is it genetically impossible to sit quietly as she parallel parks? <laughs> another one, how to be the ideal shopping companion. Relaxation exercises, meditation, and breathing techniques will be covered. And then getting over it, learning how to live with being wrong all the time. Of course, the husbands got together and they said, you know, we can come up with some too. And so they did. And so class one, what takes more energy? Putting the toilet seat down or moaning about it for three hours? <laughs> yeah. Is it possible to drive past the Walmart without stopping? <laughs> Three fundamental differences between a handbag and a suitcase. Pictures and explanatory graphics will be given. How to ask questions during commercials and to be quiet during the program. And this was my favorite. How to parallel park in less than 20 minutes without an insurance claim. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I like getting together in these groups. It's always fun, and uh, you have friends and things and to get together. I also realize that what we're doing is serious stuff. 
And uh, when I'm, a year ago, over a year ago, when Brother Lydic called me, and uh, I began to pray and ask God to help me. I wanted to be used, and, and I t- take this really seriously, and I began to think about some things, and I thought about the fact that it's possible. I, I don't know that it's true, but it's possible that there's some wife at home praying, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do if he doesn't change. Seriously. And I, you know, I think about it. I'm a pastor and I, I know that sometimes when we've had some of these things and some of the struggles that some of the men are going through, you just think, Lord, just this one time, can you get a hold of them? Can you change their lives? Can you do something? Can you do something? And it just may be that some wife is at home praying and begging God for you to get right with God. For you to get right with God. And you know, I, I, I think it's wise that, you know, we, we prepare and we get ready to preach and we do all that stuff. But I'll tell you what, we need to get ready to hear. And I, I pray and I trust that many of you already have been praying and asking God to do a work in your heart to help you and to show you what you need. Not the guy next to you, but you. And I think, you know, in a moment when I pray, you ought to be praying, God, again, whatever it is you want to say to me, please, Lord, speak to my heart and give me what I need. The Apostle Paul was on the end part of his third missionary journey here in Acts chapter 20. He was heading to Jerusalem to be there for the day of Pentecost. And so the journey that he started stopped at the port of Miletus. And from there he called for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come down and meet him there. It would be less than 50 miles. And this is the last time that he would see those elders in this life. And he goes over some things with them that he must have felt like were really important to go over with them one more time. And I I thought about this and I thought, wow, if the Holy Spirit had these things recorded, had them put in the Scripture, he must have felt that they were very important for us as well. And so Paul called for the elders, an interesting term, the elders of the church. He talked with them about his manner, that he had been with them, and then he talked about his life's purpose. He talked about the course that he had been given in his Christian life, and that course being the ministry of the gospel of the grace of God. His responsibility before God had been to preach. He says this, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of get a kick out of these people that think repentance is not important. Paul thought it was important. Paul preached it. And, uh, and that was his responsibility. And how seriously... I mean, you talk about a 365-day job, 24-hour day. Paul took that job so seriously in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he turns in his dialogue with them, and he begins to instruct them as elders, instruct them about church life, some things about the church. And again, I just remind you that these are things that he must have felt like were very important to the life of a church and so consequently they ought to be important to us to consider in this situation. And so would you stand with me? I want to begin reading in verse 26 here of Acts chapter 20. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 20. The Holy Spirit had Paul write these words, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. 
Now listen to what he says here. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Wow, where have we heard that tonight? Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And he goes on in verse 32 to commend them to God and to the word of His grace. Now let me say this. It's obvious from this passage that the church is important to the Lord Jesus Christ. He founded the church he promised His presence in the church. He promised the perpetuity of His churches. And our passage tells us that He purchased it with His own blood. The blood of God purchased the church. The blood that flowed in the veins of Jesus was the very blood of God. And it was shed as an, appro an appropriation or an appeasement for our sins. And God was satisfied. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to save your sins. He will forgive every sin that you've ever committed. You repent and you put your trust in Him and He will save you. What a price He paid for our salvation. By the way, the Bible teaches that church membership is for saved people. That is a Baptist distinctive, by the way. So you have here the great purchase price of the church, and you have the Holy Spirit being involved in putting overseers to the church. So we'd have to believe the church is important to the Lord. So if it's important to the Lord, is it important to you? I was reading a bio of a man. I'll, I'll let you sit in just a moment. You're going to sit a little bit, okay. So anyway, I was reading the bio of a man in my area. He invited me to come and talk to him. He was, called himself a pastor. And so, you know, I wanted to find out who I was meeting. And I read his bio, and it seemed like for about five years, he had been in this church, and he'd been in that church. It didn't matter what kind it was. There were all different kinds of churches. He'd been in all kinds of these different churches. And now he had his own church and called it a non-denominational church. But anyway, and I was thinking, you know, really is... Does he even understand the church? Doesn't sound like church is all that important to, to, to him. And, you know, it should be. We should have an understanding how important it is, the church. And what important thing are you doing for the Lord's church? Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for the opportunity to preach to these men. What an honor, God, it is for me to even be here and God, in this place in our country, and to see and to meet people, God, I would never otherwise got to meet. And I thank you. But Lord, we're here tonight, and we're here for a serious reason. We need to hear from you. Holy Spirit, would you do the work that you desire to do? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul's giving instruction to the elders of the church of Ephesus. And as I said before, elder is an interesting title. The term elder comes from the Greek word presbyterios, and that's, the word simply can mean an old man, an older man, or the oldest man. I was thinking of myself as the older, and 
Brother Wrench is the old man and Brother Lydic, well, but anyway, that doesn't matter. But anyway, and so it can mean, you know, those different things. But we'll see that a, an elder is not just a person that has some years behind them. The, the, the way the term is used in the Bible, they were men of some rank. Over in Acts chapter 22 there, uh, Paul was saying, Also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders. It's like there was a rank of elders within the Pharisees and all of that. But I, I do believe that there is a rank that a person gets to in their life of elder. The concept of a church, it would be those who have been saved for some time and have grown appropriately for that time. We also find in the scripture, the elders were men of faith. In Hebrews eleven two, it says, For by it the elders obtained a good report. They're men of compassion and prayer. In James 5, 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There are also men who by reason of use have their senses or their understanding exercised to understand both good and evil. Hebrews 5.14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I believe that from the group of elders in any church, you should be able to find men who qualify to be deacons and pastors. It's kind of an interesting thought. I believe within the group of elders in a church, there should be men found that qualify to be deacons and to be pastors. All right? And, uh, and so from the things said about the qualifications of a bishop or pastor... Uh, and the deacon, we can learn a couple more things about what it is to be an elder. A bishop's not to be a novice, right? The scripture says that, or a newly sprung up one. A deacon is first to be proved. So I take this to mean that an elder is not one who is a novice, and is, not, and is one who has been proved, all right? Therefore, from the elders of a church would come the men that could serve as pastors and deacons. Elders were not necessarily the pastors or the deacons. And uh, in fact, this kind of blows your mind a little bit, there are women elders, and they don't serve as pastors or deacons. They do have a responsibility, don't they, according to Titus chapter 2, to teach the younger women. The Bible teaches that. I'm sure that they're in this crowd then. There are some men who are church elders. There are some men who, through the definitions of what the scripture says they actually are church elders there may be some other men in here tonight that have not been saved long enough to have grown enough to be a church elder i mean it does take some time to grow in your christian life and so it may be that there's some here that haven't been saved long enough to be elders but there may be others you have been saved long enough, but you are not an elder. You've not come to that place. You should be doing the things all of us should be that bring growth, Christian growth. But there may be some men who have been saved long enough, but have not matured enough spiritually to be true elders. Now I want to begin tonight because I want to encourage all of you to be an elder. I think all of us 
in our lives should grow to the point that we can serve our Lord as elders. That's, that's a really important thing. The church that Jesus purchased with His own blood needs men who will serve as elders. We're going to look at that. We'll see that tonight. We'll look at how, how this was important to Paul. How it was important that the elders understood that what they're doing is important. So I begin tonight asking the question, why should a man work to become an elder? Why should a man work to become an elder? And I don't mean work to become a pastor. And I don't mean work to become a deacon. I kind of get this sense that if we would all grow to be the elders God wants us to be, then God has quite a pull to pull out pastors and deacons that He needs to. Right? I mean, I think that sometimes we get things all fouled up. We think, hey, the kid graduates from high school, he goes to Bible college to learn how to be. No, we ought to be training in our churches men to be elders. They ought to grow and do that. And I think it's from that group. Bible colleges don't call people into the ministry. The Lord does. And He calls people from a local church into the ministry. I'm all for the college, don't get me wrong, but I just think that we ought to understand this. You know, elders, again, are men of faith. They're men of compassion and prayer. They're men that have grown properly. They're men that have proved themselves. They have stood the test and trials of their faith and have been true to the God who saved them. Amen. Wow, way too many churches. The men have issues. We have our issues. And it's almost like we live in this place that we don't understand, <laughs> this works. This book works, guys. The principles in here, if we apply them, if we live them, they cause us to grow and become what God wants us to be. Why is it we have so many issues with our men? <laughs> it has to be something here. That's going on. And my emphasis to you is that all Christians should strive to become elders. It's obvious that an elder has some leadership responsibilities within a local church. By the way, I wouldn't give you a dime for a man who thinks he's an elder who doesn't submit himself to the leadership of his local church. You know, one of the coolest things about a local church is submission. Everybody within a local church needs to learn to be submissive. Even the pastor has to be submissive to the Lord. You know, I, you, know you, you have these people that they, they think they're elders, but, you know, hey, they don't want to work the church plan. Something's wrong with that. I wouldn't give you a dime for those. And, uh, in fact, I probably would call them adiatrophies, but that's another story. You can read about that in 1 John 3. Some men, you know, they're afraid that they're going to have to take on more leadership roles. And, I, you know, preacher, I just, I, I have so much going on in my life right now. And uh, can I remind you why you're here? You weren't here for all those other things. You're here to please the one who saved you. And you can't do that outside of a local church. We, we are the group that believe that and understand that, that He established the local church to work through in this time that we live in. Right. The church is the Lord's body. 
Therefore, you should be, you should be an elder. It's the Lord's body. It belongs to him. Do, can I remind you who he is to you? He is your Savior. He is your Savior. He loved you when you were still in your sins. The only good thing about any man here is what our Savior Jesus Christ has done for us. And if our Savior is all in on the church, guess who else should be? Us. It's our responsibility. Some of you have a definite lack of loyalty to the one who gave his all to save you. You may say, well, I love the Lord. But can I say your relationship to the local church often proves otherwise? Often proves otherwise. We should be elders because, hey, this church belongs to the Lord. And elders do their work in and through the local church. You know, another reason why we should be elders is because it's unnatural for children not to grow. It's unnatural for children not to grow. When a person's saved, they're born again into the family of God. Then they, you know, you think about this, they're children of God and we expect just as we expect our natural children to grow, we expect spiritual children to go, grow. You know what? You've got to feed them, right? The Word is the food we need to grow. Brother Wrench is right. We need to be in the Word every day. Every day. Don't belittle what you need in church. Now, I pastor a church, I've pastored a lot of years, and I know that there's men that are really good at finding reasons why not to be in the preaching service. Something's got to go on here, something's got to go on there, they got to, you know, got to check on this, and somebody's car broke down on the way to church, so they got to fix it before they go home, you know. I mean, it's, it's sad, but so many men don't understand how important it is that they're feeding on the Word of God. The man of God, God puts him there to put the words together, to put the thing together, to take this book and to feed you. And you're not there to hear it. You're not there to feed. Maybe one of the reasons why you're failing to grow. I know that there's some of you say, well, preacher, I, I read the Bible every day, but I just don't seem to be growing. Well, I think there's a reason for that in... Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, it says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, comma, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, colon, if so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The reason I was emphasizing the punctuation there is because verse 2 flows out of verse 1. You know, I mean, newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. That's good. So don't give that baby something else. You know, you think about men. Some of us, we feed on so much garbage and stuff, and we have no desire. Hey, listen, stop feeding on all that malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking. You know, separate, get away from that stuff so that the word can minister to you. You know, it's kind of like the guy who goes on a diet because he wants to eat healthy. But he's not getting enough food, so he eats all the other stuff too. Isn't it amazing how we kind of think, hey, if I eat a salad, I can eat pie on the other end? You know, it's kind of, 
you know, hey, listen, I'm just saying what we need to do is separate ourselves from the garbage that's out there and feed on the Word of God. There comes a time, I want you to understand this, there comes a time when God expects all of us to be teachers. There does. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. For when the time that you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. God expects all of us as his children, after we are saved, to grow to the point that we can turn and teach others also. So, you know what? God wants us to be elders. Another reason why you should be an elder is the church God places you in needs elders. Needs elders. Men and women who have grown to the place where they can teach others also. Huh. The word that Paul speaks to the elders of the church of Ephesus says that God had made those elders overseers of the church. I like that. Overseers of the church. I, I particularly love this point. It's just, you know, me. It's the way I think. But anyway, so there's an interesting definition of an overseer in Webster's 1828. It is this. The officer who has the care of the poor or an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I figured the pastors here would kind of appreciate that a little bit, but... An officer who has the care of the poor or an idiot. <laughs> so, anyway, obviously the term idiot was a lot less abrasive back then than it is today. But the truth is clear that an overseer is there to help those in need. Hey, by the way, in your church there are people in need. Someone to watch over them. Someone to warn them. Someone to encourage them. Shame on you for thinking your pastor is the only one that can do that. Elders have the responsibility to warn people when you see them doing things that you know spiritually are not good for them. To encourage them. I'm telling you, sometimes they just need somebody to come up and say, Hey, listen, I'm praying for you. Hang in there. Is there anything I can do to help you? It's not just the pastor's responsibility. All the elders should be in the habit of caring for the flock of God. Just remember, it's not the pastor's flock, it's God's flock. It's not your flock, it's God's flock. And God expects you to care for it. And you know what's kind of amazing to me? God doesn't mind having some weird sheep. Look around, guys. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, God doesn't mind having some weird sheep. Some sheep who have needs. So my first point really is simple tonight. You should either be an elder or you should be growing to be an elder. Maybe here you're not saved. And that's the first thing to do. Repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because then that whole new life begins. It's an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. It's the natural progression of the life of a Christian to grow. And so there are some of you here that have done that. You have grown to the point that you're elders, and I praise the Lord for that. 
Some of you have not been saved long enough. And so this is not a message to beat you up. I'm encouraging you, continue to grow. Continue to feed on the pure word of God. Be in church every time you possibly can. Listen to the messages. Go prepared to hear. Pay attention. God's feeding you. And grow and grow to that point where God would then that you be an elder of the church. Some of you should have reached the level of elder long ago. And really the only thing that's prevented you is your relationship to the Word. And so I say separate from the things that are hindering your feeding on the Word and feed and grow. Now the second thing that I'm going to preach to you tonight, and hey, it's just a two-point message with a lot of sub-points, but anyway... And uh, the second thing I want you to see is that the elders were told to take heed. Brother Wrench already kind of preached this tonight. The elders were told to take heed. Look there at Acts 20, 28 again. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now, I'm going to let you off tonight because I'm not going to preach the whole thing about taking heed to the church. I'm going to preach to you about taking heed to yourselves. Take heed is a term that means beware. Regard with caution. It's to pay attention with an understanding that there's danger out there. By the way, there is an enemy that's out there that would love to destroy you, to destroy the Lord's church, to destroy your family. An elder then needs to understand that there is a lot of danger in not fulfilling your responsibility as an elder. Do you catch what I'm saying? There's, if you're not doing the job as an elder in your church, there's danger for others involved out there. I'm positive. I look around at this group of men. If at your church one Sunday somebody showed up with a gun, you would take action. This is probably not the group of men that's going to run and hide and let the women take care of the problem. Probably out here, all of you are packing anyway, but anyway, that's, <laughs> you know, don't go shooting in an independent fundamental Baptist church, in, you know, in this area. But anyway, California, okay, nobody, but that's, that's not, not, but you know, hey, this is the group that would, hey, yeah, I'll get in, I'll do my part. I'll get in and I'll do my part. But you know, <laughs> When it comes to the spiritual things and the dangers that are going on, eh, we're just kind of sitting back. We're not jumping in and getting involved and saying, Pastor, what can I do? You know, you see that person in your church, and you're going, man, they just aren't getting it. You go home and talk about it. Why don't you go home and pray for them? Why don't you go home and pray for them? Why don't you you try to do something to encourage them and help them? Wow. By the way, sins of commission are bad, but sins of omission are also bad. And us not doing the job that God wants us to do in His local church is not a good thing. Not a good thing. I think our churches could be a lot stronger if men would get this understanding that God wants us to be elders. We're to grow, we're to help others. We're to help others, we're to bring others along. Why would an elder then, a man who is spiritually matured, need to beware or pay attention to himself. Now, I understand. If you've been saved for a long time and you've not grown, well, yeah, I've got to take heed to myself. No. The Bible is saying 
to the elders, take heed to yourselves. Why would an elder need to pay attention to their own lives? I mean, they've grown in their Christian life. The answer is simple. No man gets to a place in his Christian life where he is exempt from temptation. No man, not you, not me, gets to the place in our lives where we are exempt from temptation. The danger of temptation remains throughout this life. For instance, some will say, well, there are some men that have a problem with pornography. And I know what they're meaning, but the truth is all men have a problem with pornography. There's not a man alive that can watch that stuff and not have it do damage to him. You understand what I'm saying? Hey, there's a temptation for all of us, and we have to understand that. A warning about temptation is given in 1 Corinthians 10. Why don't you go over there? Let's just look at this a little bit. A warning about temptation is given in 1 Corinthians 10. There, uh, it's using the lessons that are learned from what happened to Israel when they were in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. And from that, we pick up this warning, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, Now these things were our examples to the intent, listen to this, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. <laughs> God's saying, listen, they, they lusted, that's written for you, so you don't lust. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the uh, destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples and they are written, notice this, they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Isn't that amazing? The Bible was written for us. It's written for our admonition. And look what it says. Verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wow. The Christian that thinks they have grown so much that they're, you know, they're now they've kind of grown past temptation, they're so wrong. If that's your mindset, take heed, beware, lest you fall. Lest you fall. The tempter is real. The tempter is real. The man who wants to destroy you is real. Satan, and I'm telling you, he is getting a lot of people destroyed. Because we're not paying attention. We're acting like, oh, I didn't know that could happen to me. But the God who is faithful is also real. He's also real. And he provides a way of escape in time of temptation. I like that. He will with the temp temptation also make a way to escape. I think this verse most often is used wrongly. It's misinterpreted. I think most often people try to use this verse in context of the trials of life when actually in context it's about sin. 
There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Some of you men think you're the only one dealing with what you're dealing with, and I'm telling you, it's common to men. It's common. You know, it's, it's common to all of us. We all have these things that we have to deal with and we have to face in our life. But God is faithful. Remember that. It's not about you, it's about Him. God is faithful. And He will with the temptation. When those temptations come, those temptations come, He will make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You just got to start listening to Him. Somewhere along the line, when the temptation comes, he says, turn your eyes. Stop thinking about that. I mean, somewhere along the line, he's telling you what to do. He's giving you a way to escape. You know, and I hear people say, well, God will never put on us more than we can bear, using this verse. That's not what it teaches. Our God is faithful. Hey, you know what? There's no temptation that's going to come that's bigger than the God that's in you. He is so powerful. And you say, well, preacher, I've had this problem for years. Hey, I'm so, I don't care. I want you to understand God is greater than your problem. Yes, you may have to spend some time working and trusting God and learning some things and unlearning some things. I understand all of that. But don't doubt the fact that when Jesus said this, He said, If ye continue in My word, then are you My disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. He didn't say, and you then will make yourself free. It's the truth. It's the truth that makes you free. Hey, I'm just saying, you know what? This temptation thing, we better understand. By the way, did you know Paul had trouble with Satan? In 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Isn't that amazing? He didn't say, but, you know, it just didn't work out. But Satan, I mean, Paul was trying to serve God. I'm telling you, there's a devil out there who will work to hinder you. In 1 Peter 5, 8, you know, the context of instruction to elders, by the way, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Beware also, no man will ever reach a threshold in his love for the Lord that the world will not be attractive to him. Yep, this world can be pretty attractive. Pretty attractive. That's why we've got to learn to run the race with our gaze fixed upon the Lord. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we're to keep our eyes on Him. You know, you think about it, it's kind of like a man who thinks he's looking at pornography and staring at other women besides his wife, but he doesn't think it's an offense to his wife. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are men that think, well, they can look at dirty pictures, they can look at women walking down the street and stuff, and they think, well, you know, that has nothing to do with my wife. It has everything to do with your wife. It is an offense to her. Have you ever read this verse, John 4, James 4, 4? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? 
Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Wow. That's strong language. I don't want to be called an adulterer. And God says, listen, when you're hanging around with the world, that's exactly what you are. Huh. Just as men should keep his focus on his wife and off other women, so should we learn spiritually to keep our focus on the Lord and off of the world. We should take heed to ourselves. I don't know how you can be in love with someone and not love the things that they love. To be in love with someone and not love the things that they love, the things that are most important to them. Now, I married a girl from Texas. Now, she was born in Maine, but her father was in the military, he was in the Air Force, and they moved a lot, and they ended up in Texas. And Texas has a way of getting into people. At that time, if you were from Texas, you had to be a Dallas Cowboy fan. It was the only choice you had, and I'm pretty sure it was mandated by the government. Now, I was born in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, so I lived there most of my life. And I didn't have one favorite football team. I had two. I'm a little encouraged by that tonight because I've seen uh, logos from both of my teams, the 49ers and the Raiders. I know some of you hate me now, but it's okay. That, don't go there. Okay. So my wife, of course, being from Dallas, she was a Dallas Cowboy fan. So after we had been married about seven years, my wife's loyalty came into question. This was the era of Joe Montana. And there was a game, I think it was in 1981, when the 49ers and the Cowboys met in the NFC Championship game for the right to go to the Super Bowl. And it was a close game. And my wife and I, on that Sunday afternoon, were in our living room watching the game. I'm, and praying for the service that night. But anyway, we're, we're watching the game. And some of you may recall this, but toward the end of the game, Joe Montana went back to pass and the rush came in and he just kept going back closer to the sideline. Finally, this, he's throwing the ball away, just threw it high up in the air. And this guy named Dwight Clark, this receiver, jumps up in the air right at the back of the end zone, catches that ball, comes down. The 49ers won that game. But you know what the most amazing thing is? My wife and I were sitting side by side on that couch. And when Dwight Clark caught that ball, I jumped up, yes! And I looked next door, and looks to me, and my wife was doing the same thing, yes! <laughs> I knew I had her at that point. <laughs> she learned to love what I loved. Pretty amazing, isn't it, how that happens? Some of you say, well, my wife still doesn't like my team. Well, Treat her right, maybe she will. <laughs> but let me say this, I don't know how you can claim to love the Lord and not love His church. Not desire to be in the church that He has for you. And not realize how important your own spirituality is to the steadfastness or the growth and the health of that church. Maybe some need to begin with a confession tonight. Lord, I need to get right. I need to get right. I need to love what you love. Because he loved the church and he gave himself for it. He loved the church and he gave himself for it. I would suppose 
Man, if we could go back to our churches in love with what Jesus loves, that would be a great thing. That would be a great thing. Let's have our heads bowed. We're going to prepare for our invitation tonight.